Turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Uh, this is on page 953 of the Pew Bibles. The Bible uses many analogies to describe the kingdom of God. A shepherd and his sheep, a vine and branches, a field with grain. Each of these teaches us some aspect of God and his relationship to a sinful world and to those he has redeemed and called out of sin. We'll be looking tonight at 1 Corinthians 3, 16 to 17, where Paul uses the analogy of a temple to admonish and encourage the church in Corinth. We'll read through this text three times, and each time we'll emphasize and think about a particular word. There's much we can learn from these two verses, far, far more than can be covered tonight. As we conclude this Easter weekend, we will think about how this analogy of the temple teaches us about the meaning and purpose of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you're taking notes, we'll look at three points. The temple is holy, the temple is you, and the temple is God's. Let's read 1 Corinthians 3, 16 to 17, found on page 953. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. The past three days, we've been celebrating the death and resurrection of Jesus. We've heard and read about his suffering on the cross, his burial in the ground, and his glorious rising from the grave. But what does this have to do with a temple, indeed a holy temple? Because a temple is where God is. And because God is holy, wherever he is must also be holy. If there is one thing that the Bible tells us, it is that God is holy. God's holiness is so important that it repeatedly receives a triple emphasis. The proclamation of the Bible is that God is holy, holy, holy. Nothing else is emphasized this way, and certainly nothing else is called holy like this. For God to be holy means that he is the only standard of right and wrong, that he is perfect in himself and in all his ways. We know this best when we see through ourselves and in God's word that we, as people, as humans, are not holy. We know that we lie, we steal, we hate, that we are full of envy, murder, and deceit, that we are heartless, faithless, and ruthless. All of this is called sin, and it is the very opposite of holy. We are sinful, God is holy. Because God punishes sin, we can only enjoy his presence by means of a penalty for sin. And that is what the temple is all about. Sin cannot be where God is. So to be where God is, sinners must have a penalty for their sin. In the Old Testament, the temple in Jerusalem is where the penalty for sin was paid. But in this earthly temple, the presence of God was limited to one chosen priest to enter the Holy of Holies within the temple, and he only once a year and only with the blood of a sacrifice. However, these priests and sacrifices were not enough to pay the full penalty due for sin. And this is what the death of Jesus on the cross is all about. Christ alone paid the penalty for sin. Only a perfect sacrifice, one of perfect obedience from a perfect man, will God accept as a penalty for man's sinfulness, for your sinfulness. Christ is both God and man as the only mediator between God and man is alone able to reconcile sinful man with a holy God. The Bible identifies this work of Jesus with the temple. 
When Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us, this is described as his having tabernacled among us. Jesus referred to his own body as a temple, one that by means of his completed work would affect the creation of a better temple than the one in Jerusalem. The Bible goes on to say that Jesus and his gospel, his entire work of salvation, is the very foundation of that better temple than the one in Jerusalem. The earthly temple and all its laws and rituals was only a type, a shadow. It was not the true form of the realities it pointed to. It was not the true temple, the true presence of God. In fact, this earthly temple was doomed to be shaken, indeed to be destroyed. But the true temple of which Jesus and his work is the foundation cannot be shaken, cannot be destroyed. What then is this true temple? It is where God dwells in his holiness and dwells with his holy and blameless people. Let's read our passage again. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Jesus, by death on the cross, paid the penalty for sin. But as we heard this morning, Paul, later in the same letter, declares of equal importance that Jesus rose from the dead. It is not enough that our past sins be paid for. The cause of sin, our being dead to holiness, must also be removed. And so the Bible declares that God also made us alive together with Christ, raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places. As Peter tells us, with Jesus as the cornerstone of this holy temple, we also, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We too, being conformed into the image of Christ, are able to enter the very holy of holies. Christ himself, having torn apart the veil, that separated sinful man from a holy God. This newness of life, this call to holiness, is made possible by the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit, given by the Father and the Son, is the power of our sanctification. He, too, is a fruit of the resurrection. For the Spirit was only given to God's people, to his church, after Christ ascended and sat at the right hand of God the Father, completing his work of justification. The Bible constantly exhorts those who have been made alive in Christ Jesus to walk, to walk according to the way, to enter his courts with thanksgiving and praise, to boldly approach the throne of God. These are all active imperatives, things that we are called to do. And this call, praise God, because of the resurrection, goes out to those who now can walk in holiness and into God's presence. For we are called to work out our salvation in fear and trembling, knowing that it is God who works in us, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. This sanctification is not easy to bear. It is accomplished by crosses crosses and chastisements through suffering. It is painful to be a living stone, being cut and chiseled, fitted for its place in the temple. But Christian, this is our highest calling, to be holy as God is holy. Why? Because we are God's true temple. And God has said that he will dwell with us in the fullness of his glory 
and holiness. Even so, the Bible tells us to rejoice as we share in the sufferings of Christ, so that we may be overjoyed at the revelation of his glory. Christian, the Bible calls us as God's people not to neglect so great a salvation. We are to take joy in our sanctification, to fight against and kill our remaining sin. The Holy Spirit is he who convicts us, confront, conforms us, comforts us, and gives us confidence in God that he who began this good work in us will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. This is one reason for Paul's writing to the Corinthians, to remind them that they have the Holy Spirit to give them spiritual wisdom and no longer to follow the wisdom of this world. We too must remember to rely on and search both the word and the spirit for our wisdom. Because of this power for sanctification, and as Paul says to the Thessalonians, we will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God. For God has said that, he will, that we will be his people and that he will be our God and that we will dwell with him in holiness. So let's read our text one last time, seeing that this temple is God's temple. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. So this temple of living stones, this living temple of God's redeemed people, this temple is God's temple. Consider the context we have just thought about. The temple's example of holiness, our call to holiness, our struggle and suffering against sin as we hope to be holy. How would this look to us were this call and hope in our own hands relied on us or the hands even of other Christians of the church? How would this look to you then? Hopeful, certain, worth the trials? Who is sufficient for these things? But consider instead into whose hands our hopes for holiness are placed. All this context of temples and holiness, of dying daily to sin, of walking in righteousness, all that we are called to be as sinful yet redeemed creatures, all of this is declared to belong in the sovereign hands of God Almighty. God, who not only called us, has also promised to complete this call in us. For these things are impossible for man, but with God all things are possible. Consider how this one word, God's, can take such a context, one of high calling for sinful man, and change it. A call to holiness, both impossible and despairing in the hands of man, becomes instead certain and full of joy because it is God's promise for his temple. And you, Christian, are God's temple. Brothers, sisters, if you are in Christ, you are God's, and he will not fail to build us into a temple fit for his presence and glorification. Into the context of your daily despairs and doubts, you must always look to God first as sustainer and finisher of this work he has begun in you. Just as our individual sanctification can be, can be painful and seem impossible at times, so too the building of God's temple often seems doubtful. Any, construct, any construction site looks chaotic and a mess from the outside to those without the knowledge of the architect. As one Puritan put it, in the building of this temple, its parts seem to be lying in a in hundred pieces. 
Here a timber, here a rafter, there a spar, there a stone. In another place, half a window. In another place, the side of a door. There is or seems to be no beauty, no face of a house here. Sometimes it may look like this temple may be torn down altogether. Other times it may look glorious, nearly completed. But we are called not to look with the eyes of man. As Paul says a short while later in this same letter, we should not pronounce judgment before the time. For us, his promises for the final outcome found in his word and sealed in us by his spirit are enough. We must always remember who is in charge of building God's temple. We can see then how Paul, writing to the Corinthians, uses the temple analogy both to warn and to comfort the church that if anyone attempts to destroy God's temple, God will destroy him. Do not doubt that God will destroy those who threaten his church from within or without. He will do so for his name's sake to fulfill his promise and his covenant to make for himself a people redeemed from unrighteousness and fit for his presence. The earthly temple was destroyed, and this was by God's own hand. And by God's own hand, this true temple, we, us, can never be shaken. For it, indeed, we are the very presence of God in glorification. Perhaps you don't consider yourself a Christian. You have heard that God is holy. You have heard what sin is and that you are sinful. You have heard about the penalty that sin requires, that without the shedding of blood there can be no forgiveness. You have heard how Jesus is the only sacrifice that we can plead as having paid this penalty for us. You have heard how Jesus, being raised from the dead, is the only way to approach the presence of God without condemnation for your sin. Now you have only to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. God has promised this and he is faithful to his promises. If you do not, you have only a fearful expectation of judgment. So come to Jesus in repentance and faith. Brothers, sisters, Christians, you may be right now in a very challenging season of suffering, doubt, and despair in your life. We may, as a church in this country at this time, be heading into a difficult trial. If so, there is no place to run other than Jesus, his gospel, and the true temple of which Jesus is the foundation, we the stones, and God the builder. Remaining with the shepherd in the sheepfold, abiding in the vine, is not only our calling but our only hope. For God has promised that, that nothing will snatch us from the hands of Jesus. To use yet another scriptural uh, analogy, this temple of God's redeemed people, led in triumphant procession by Jesus, is the only ark of safety in the coming flood of God's judgment. For God has also promised that he will soon shake the world once more in judgment at the return of the living Jesus. And when the flood of God's wrath against sin subsides for the last time, this finished temple of holiness will rest forever unshaken as the very presence of God. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, we are so unworthy of this call. We are by ourselves so unfit to be your holy temple. But we rejoice that you, who have called us, are also faithful to do this. 
We tremble at the words we have just heard, knowing that there is still sin in us. Yet we rejoice because it is your promise to cleanse us from all sin and unrighteousness. As you have already justified us by your grace and seated us in the heavenly places, so also you have promised to prepare us for an eternal weight of glory in your presence. Grant us, Lord, your Holy Spirit, to dress us as living stones, worthy to be the bride of our resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. 